Judges chapter 9, we'll start with verse 30. We have, for the last two or three uh, weeks here in Judges, been talking about Abimelech, and the son of Gideon. He was, a, he was a, a bad guy. He was not a nice guy. He had all of his other brothers uh, put to death. There was one brother, Jotham, uh, who was able to escape death. He hid out and he... Uh, kind of pronounced a, a judgment, well, what would initi- uh, eventually become a judgment on Abimelech by saying, look, uh, what you did by killing your brothers uh, is evil, but you've, you've taken over as, as king and leader of these people, and if this should be God's will, then all will go well for you. But if what you have done is evil and it's not God's will, then things are going to go bad for you. And that's what we have seen the last week or two, is that things have gone bad for Abimelech because he is not a nice guy. He is evil in his actions, and he is uh, reaping what he has sown here in these last few verses, uh, the last half of Judges 9. So we will pray, and then we will get into the text. Father God, we come to you tonight, and I thank you for these words, and I pray that we learn something from it. Dear Lord, we might not be acting in the same way uh, as Abimelech is and as Gael is in these scriptures tonight, but dear Lord, I still think there are some life lessons we can learn from this. And so I pray that the Holy Spirit would give me the words to say uh, so that I would be able to preach and teach in a way that's going to bring glory to you, that's going to help us, and help us to understand your word better tonight. Help us not to be distracted by thoughts and worries of the world, but help me to be focused as I preach, and help us all to be focused as we listen to what your word says. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Judges chapter 9, verse 30. Now, just a brief recap before we get into that verse. Uh, What we had seen is a new character enter into the scene last week. His name was Gil. Now, we don't know much about Gil other than he came into town and he was not not really enthused about uh, Abimelech and what he was doing. So he began to talk a big game. Boy, boy, Abimelech, who is this Abimelech that we should serve him and Zabul, his officer? Uh, who are these men that we should follow them and listen to them? Uh, we are, you are men of Shechem. He was, he was giving this speech to all these men of Shechem. Uh, you, are, you are descendants of, of Hamar, who was Shechem's father. You guys don't, you're not under Abimelech. You're not under Zebul. Who are these men to tell you what to do? And boy, he was talking a big game. And Gael, of course, doesn't appear to be any, any better really than Abimelech. He didn't have any any good intentions or a good heart in wanting to lead these people, but he began to say, boy, if I was your leader, if I was in charge, things would change. If you were following me and I was the one who was in charge, uh, things would be better. So he, he gave this speech to the people of Shechem, these leaders of Shechem, the lords of Shechem, some of your translations may say, and at least some of them listened to what he had to say. And so they began to follow Gale, or they were going to follow Gale, as he was going to try to begin this uh, revolt against Abimelech. And he was going to try to take over, and he was going to be in charge. So let's see how that worked out for him in verse 30. When Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gale, son of Ebed, he was angry. So he sent messengers secretly to Abimelech, saying, Look, Gael, son of Ebad, with his brothers have come to Shechem and are turning the city against you. Now tonight you and the people with you are to come wait in ambush in the countryside. Then get up early and at sunrise charge the city. When he had the people who are with him come out against you, do to him whatever you can. 
So Abimelech and all the people with him got up at night and waited in ambush for Shechem and four units. So here we see this plan taking place. Gael has come in and he has spoke his peace and he has got at least a few followers who are following him. Now, Zebul, the ruler of the city and the officer of Abimelech, it told us a few verses earlier, has caught wind of Gael and his big speech and his big talk and that he's got these men on his side and that they are looking to come in to overthrow Abimelech. So Zebul gets word to Abimelech and says, hey, here's what's going to happen. Gael is going to try to come into the city and he's going to try to take over. So you need to get some guys together and you need to hide out so that when you see Gael coming, you guys can come and attack him. So that's the plan that's been made here uh, between uh, Zebul and Abimelech as Gael is going to try to come in and attack. Let's read a little further. Verse 35. Gael, son of Ebed, went out and stood at the entrance of the city gate. Then Abimelech and the people who were with him got up from their ambush. When Gael saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. But Zebul said to him, The shadows of the mountains look like men to you. Then Gael spoke again, Look, people are coming down from the central part of the land, and one unit is coming from the direction of the diviner's oak. Zebul replied, Where is your mouthing off now? You said, Who is Abimelech, that we should serve him? Aren't these the people you despised? Now go and fight them. So the plan had been set, the trap had been set. As Gael and his men are at the entrance of the city gate, uh, from around them uh, come Abimelech and the men that he had gathered up. And Gael begins to see these men at a distance. And he says, wait, here come some men. They're coming at us. They're coming down from the mountains. And, and Zebul says, oh, no, that's your eyes playing tricks on you. Those are just shadows. And again, he notices, wait a minute. No, these are people. They really are. They're coming down from all directions. They're coming from the diviner's oak, it tells us. Now, that doesn't really mean a whole lot to us because we don't know where the diviner's oak was. But it's good little details like this in Scripture uh, that, that, that I think give it a lot of credibility to prove to us that Scripture is real. He's referring to something that's really so simple and quite insignificant, but it was no doubt a landmarker to them, at least in the direction that they are coming. And even though we don't know where the diviner's oak was, uh, the original writer and some of these original readers of this book would have known exactly where he was talking about. It would be no different to, uh, to you guys tonight if I were to say, wait, I think I see some people and they're coming from towards Shady Rest. Now, most of you probably know where Shady Rest is. Some of you don't, but a lot of you do. And if I said people are coming from Shady Rest, y'all would look that way because that's which way it is. Now, the people who are listening to this sermon online, they don't have a clue which way Shady Rest is. And people even in this area, 50 years from now, many of them won't know what it is. And in this instant here, we just have a, a little detail of the direction they were coming from. And it's of no real significance of us, but it lets us know, hey, this was a real place. These people were coming from this specific location. And sometimes we see these oaks mentioned. Uh, we saw the oak of the pillar mentioned earlier in this story. Perhaps it's the same oak that's being talked about here. 
You may remember when Gideon was first introduced to us. Uh, he was at the Oak of Ophrah. And so we see that, that obviously oak trees played some significance in this part of, the, in this part of the, the country. They were a landmark. Maybe they were a place that people gathered. They were a place that people knew. And we have three instances of oaks here in the story of Gideon and Abimelech. Uh, just an interesting thing for us to consider and look at. So when Zebul uh, recognizes that Gail knows what's going on, he says, all right, you talked a big talk. You were mouthing off big about, boy, if I saw Abimelech, where's Abimelech? I'll show Abimelech who's boss. Zebul said, you fishing to get what you wanted. You talked big. You talked tough. You were going to do it right. If you were in charge, you were going to make things better. Now, here's your opportunity to do it the way you want to do it. And so Zebul was about to learn a hard lesson. Now, there's something good I think we can take from this, at least a warning for ourselves. Now, I know this is somewhat out of the context of what's being talked about here, but it did come to my mind that sometimes we may find ourselves in the same situation. That is, we may think that, boy, as we talked about last week, if I was in charge, if I was leading this, if I was doing this, I could do a better job. And sometimes, as some of us have probably found out in our life, sometimes we, we end up getting what we wished for and we find out that maybe things were not quite as easy as we thought. We find out, uh-oh, I'm in trouble now. I've got what I've wished for, but turns out it's not quite the, 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 the rosy uh, picture that I thought it was going to be. Things are not working out quite like I wanted them to work out. So that might be a good thing for us to consider and remember. Okay, be careful what we wish for because things uh, may not be as easy as we think they will be. And we may want to be careful before we charge into a situation or we may find ourselves in trouble. Now, hopefully we're never going to be in a situation like Gail and Abimelech are here, but sometimes there are situations where we may need to take a step back and be a little careful before we run in, or we may find ourselves getting in trouble, and that's exactly what Gail found himself in in verse 39. So Gail went out leading the lords of Shechem and fought against Abimelech. But Abimelech pursued him, and Gail fled before him. Many wounded died as far as the entrance of the gate. Abimelech stayed in Aruma, and Zebul drove Gael and his brothers from Shechem. The next day, when the people went into the countryside, this was reported to Abimelech. He took the people, divided them into three companies, and waited in ambush in the countryside. He looked, and the people were coming out of the city. So he arose against them and struck them down. Then Abimelech and the units that were with him rushed forward and took their stand at the entrance of the city gate. The other two units rushed against all who were in the countryside and struck them down. So Abimelech fought against the city that entire day, captured it, and killed the people who were in it. Then he tore down the city and sowed it with salt. Now, we see a few different cities, uh, places mentioned here uh, throughout this passage, one of them being Aruma that we see here at the beginning of what we just read. And these are all little towns or little places that are right in the vicinity of Shechem. So if you look these places up on a map, while they may not exist today, you can find biblical maps that show you where these places were. And they're all right there in that same region. They're all right there in that same vicinity. So Abimelech is taking his, his rage out 
on Shechem and on all those people around, the ones who had turned against him with Gael, obviously they had fled. Some of them may have been trying to come back in. There were people coming to and fro from the countryside, and Abimelech continues what he had started before. They're hiding out. They're waiting to ambush. They're waiting to attack the people as they're around these different cities. And so here we see in this city, then Abimelech goes in with his men, and he destroys this city. So he is, boy, he is bringing destruction on these people. Now, you may remember from when we talked about Jotham a couple weeks ago, what did Jotham say? Jotham said, if this is not the right thing and and God does not want this to happen and you became uh, in this leadership role uh, wrongly, then here's what's going to happen. The people are going to bring destruction on you and you're going to bring destruction on the people. Now, that's kind of paraphrasing what what Jotham said, but that's basically what he said. Look, these people are going to make it hard on Abimelech. Abimelech's going to make it hard on the people. That's exactly what's taking place. The people have already tried to come against Abimelech. Now, as a result of that, because the lords of Shechem, who once supported Abimelech, have now turned against him, at least some of them, and are following Gael. Now that Abimelech's got stirred up, now he's going and taking it out on all the people in the area, Shechem and the surrounding cities. And so he is bringing destruction on them, and they're trying to fight against him, and everything is going downhill very fast because they did not listen to what Gideon said. Gideon said, I don't, I'm not going to rule over you. My son's not going to rule over you, but the Lord shall rule over you. And if they would have listened to Gideon and they would have let the Lord rule over them and they would have been obedient to the Lord and they would have let the Lord provide for them and take care of them and the Lord appoint the leaders that needed to be in place, then all of this could have been avoided. But nobody listened to what Gideon said. Abimelech didn't listen to what his father said. The men of Shechem didn't listen to what Gideon said. Instead, they began to seek an earthly king, and as a result of that, they got an evil man who was hard on them, and they were hard on him. It says, after they tore the city down, it says that uh, that he uh, then he tore down the city and sowed it with salt. Now, uh, that's an interesting thing for us to consider. There's a couple of theories as to why he sowed it with salt. One that seems a little more plausible to me, but I'll share both of the what 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 best I can tell are the are the two main theories. One is is that maybe was Abimelech Abimelech was a superstitious man. Uh, some of you have probably seen or even done that. Have you ever seen that if you spill salt, it's bad luck, and you're supposed to uh, throw it over your shoulder. Uh, some people are superstitious, and they still do that. And in some in, in some different uh, religious groups around the world, they believe in superstition and bad luck. And even still, part of those things uh, that they believe in, uh, they, they throw salt over their shoulder, or they do something with salt as a way to make the bad luck go away. Now, one theory is that maybe he sowed this salt uh, because he, he, he felt bad about what he had done, and he wanted his bad luck to go away, and so he was sowing salt. Well, that doesn't seem likely to me, although it's possible that that could have been his reasoning behind it. What seems maybe a little more reasonable is that he sowed salt in all the soil to keep crops from growing. If if there's salty soil, then crops are not going to grow. Crops can't grow where there's a lot of salt. And so another theory would be that he wanted to continue to take his vengeance out on the people, not only destroy their town, but also make it to where they could not rebuild there. They could not farm the land because the land and the soil was salty and unusable. 
So those are a couple of reasons why he may have sowed it with salt, although I tend to lean toward the second reason as being uh, maybe a little easier to accept and a better explanation, uh, but I'll let you decide for yourself which one of those you think is the best explanation for the salt sowing. Verse 46, all right, he's just going to continue on his war path here. He says in verse 46, When all the lords of the tower of Shechem heard, they entered the inner chamber of the temple of el Barith. Now, we read about Bel-Barith uh, several verses earlier. It's likely that El-Barith here is the same person. Uh, Bel-Barith means Lord of the Covenant. El-Barith means God of the Covenant. And it seems pretty clear here that they're not worshiping God, that is, the one true God. They're worshiping this false God. And so they go to this tower of this false God, and they go to an inner chamber, some kind of inner room that may have been in the middle of the tower that probably would have they would have felt secure there, of course. That's where they're running to in all of this attack, uh, maybe even a basement area. But they're in a place that they feel that they're secure. There's nowhere else they can go because Abimelech has, has come in to attack them, and so they're hiding out here in this temple. In verse 47, Then it was reported to Abimelech that all the lords of the tower of Shechem had gathered together. So Abimelech and all the people who were with him went up to Mount Zalman. Abimelech took his axe in his hand and cut a branch from the trees. He picked up the branch, put it on his shoulder, and said to the people who were with him, Hurry and do what you have seen me do. Each person also cut his own branch and followed Abimelech. They put the branches against the inner chamber and set it on fire around the people. And all the people in the tower of Shechem died about 1,000 men and women. Now, that's pretty harsh. We already know that Abimelech is an evil man, and if we didn't know it by this point, you know it now. Here's all these people. It must have been a big tower if there were 1,000 people in there that died. And, and, and Abimelech takes the people who are fathering him, following him. He goes out to where some trees are. He takes his axe. He cuts down a branch. He throws it over his shoulder. He says, all right, I want you guys to cut down a branch. Throw it over your shoulder. So here they come with these branches. They get back to the tower. They throw them down. They light them on fire, and they kill all of these people of Shechem. Everything is happening just like Jotham said it was going to happen. Uh, Abimelech is destroying the people, and we're soon to see that the people are about to destroy Abimelech as well. Verse 50. Abimelech went to Thebes, camped against it, and captured it. There was a strong sour inside the city, and all the men, women, and the lords of the city fled there. They locked themselves in and went up to the roof of the tower. When Abimelech came to attack the tower, he approached its entrance to set it on fire. So he's continuing on with exactly what he had done in the last in the last tower. Uh, he's just he, all the people are gathered up here. He's in a whole different place. He's in the Bez now, which again is another area real close to Shechem, and he's trying to kill all these people too. But this time he is not going to be successful. Verse 50, uh, 53. But a woman threw the upper portion of a millstone on Abimelech's head and fractured his skull. Now, let's take a minute here to have millstone 101. Now, a millstone, some of you, probably most of you, know what a millstone is. Uh, a millstone is two stones, and there's an upper stone, and there's a lower stone. 
Now, typically speaking, these are pretty big stones. Now, they can be smaller, small enough that you can handle with a hand, uh, but they are very big. Some of them so big that, that men have to push, push them around or animals may uh, push them around. And this bottom millstone will have these grooves that are kind of slanted all the way around it from the inside out and getting wider as it goes. And then there's a top stone that will sit on top of that uh, with grooves in the same way. And there'll be a hole in the middle of the top stone and you'll pour the grain in the top stone. And as the top stone spins just over the edge of the bottom stone, the grain that's put in there will begin to eventually work its way through those cracks and work its way out the side. Now you may have to do that a couple of times to get it uh, to flour or to some kind of meal that you want it to be, but that's what a millstone is. Now, we see several mentions of a millstone throughout the scripture, both a lower millstone and an upper millstone. In Job chapter 41, verse 24, we won't read it, uh, but that is a wonderful chapter, and I would encourage you to read it because it's quite an interesting chapter. In Job chapter 41, uh, the Lord is speaking of the Leviathan here. Now, the Le Le Leviathan is this big creature it appears, something that men are scared of, something that their spears cannot, uh, cannot penetrate, something that men run from. And when it's speaking about the Leviathan, I'll let you read that chapter for yourself. It's quite interesting. Uh, but as he's speaking about the Leviathan, he says that the Leviathan's heart is as hard as a lower millstone. Uh, and so we see a reference of a lower millstone where we had just seen one in Judges of an upper millstone. We also see this very story referenced in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11, verses 20 and 21. Now, if you remember the story of King David, if you've heard it, uh, he uh, took a woman, got her pregnant that was not his wife, who was married to another man, the other man being Uriah the Hittite. David, to try to solve his problem so he could marry the woman, wanted to see to it that Uriah uh, would, would die. Well, he eventually, or initially, excuse me, tried to get Uriah to come home and spend a couple days at home with his wife so when she had a baby, nobody would think anything of it. But Uriah was faithful, and he did not do that. So David had to come up with another plan, that plan being murder. So he sent, uh, he sent uh, Uriah, and he told the leader of the army, he said, I want you to put Uriah in the fiercest part of the battle so that he will get killed. And after Uriah was killed, and the leader of the army sent the message back to David uh, of what had happened, that as they approached this wall that Uriah was killed, the leader of the army said, hey, David may bring up this story uh, about, uh, about Abimelech. He may bring up this very story and say, hey, why did you get so close to the wall? Why did you do that? And uh, the leader of the army said, all right, but if David asked that, just tell him that Uriah's dead. And then it'll be okay because David will know, hey, this is why we did this thing that was stupid. So this very story that we read right here, at the very least, was uh, for, for, for uh, those who were going into battle, a lesson for them. At least it should have been a lesson. Don't get too close to somebody uh, up against a wall who's higher than you. Why? Because they could throw something down and they could hit you with it. And that's what we're going to see here in this story with Abimelech. So we see a reference to this very story in Judges that took place. We also see Jesus reference a millstone uh, in Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. As a child comes and Jesus says that we are to be like children. And then he goes on to say that if anyone harms a child, that it would be better that a millstone be thrown around their neck and they be cast into the sea. 
Now, when he's speaking of children there, uh, in the context, there is a small child there, but I think he may be speaking even broader of, of his children, not just the, uh, the child that's there or just young children in general, but to all those who are his children. And Jesus references a millstone. The millstones were heavy. And so you can imagine, if Jesus says it's better to have a millstone on you and be thrown into the sea than to face the judgment that's going to come, then that should tell us something. Because it does not sound favorable to me to have to try to swim with a millstone around my neck. And so if that's bad, then what's coming uh, after that is going to be even worse. So we have some references here of this millstone and of this very story uh, that we see here uh, falling on Abimelech's head. So the woman threw the upper portion of a millstone on Abimelech's head and fractured his skull. He quickly called to his armor bearer and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, or they'll say about me, A woman killed him. So his armor bearer thrust him through, and he died. Now, this is an interesting part of the story to me, that of all Abimelech had done, he was concerned that his legacy would go down, that he was killed by a woman. Now, that's a, a crazy thing to think about, that that's what he was worried about as he was about to die, that that's what people were going to remember him by, that he was killed by a, uh, by a woman. And he was worried about his legacy and his death, but what he really should have been worried about was the legacy of his life, not how he died, but how he lived. It wouldn't have mattered if a mighty, the mightiest warrior in all of Shechem would have killed Abimelech. We would not think of his death as an honorable death here tonight. We would still be viewing Abimelech in the same way. He is an evil man who did evil things, and he was punished for those things. And that might be a good lesson for us. It's not that we worry about how we die, but how we live. How do we live our life? What's our legacy going to be? Abimelech was worried about his legacy, how he died, but look, how he died didn't determine his legacy. It's how he lived and everything he had done uh, before that. And we need to realize that in our life. How are we living? What's our legacy going to be? Are we doing things that at the end of our life, people are going to look at us and say, boy, you know, he or she was a faithful servant of the Lord. He or she really loved people. He or she really cared about people. He or she really tried to do the right thing to help people. Are people going to look at our legacy and is it going to be something more like Abimelech's? Something that's full of evil, something that's full of sin, something that's full of hatred, something that's full of all the things that God calls us not to do. And that should be our focus to have a legacy of good things, not a legacy of bad things. When the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they all went home. In this way, God turned back on Abimelech the evil that he had done against his father by killing his 70 brothers. And God also returned all the evil of the men of Shechem on their heads. So the curse of Jotham, son of Jeroboam, came on them. Now, this is quite an intense story. And a story that I believe there are a few things that we may can learn from through this story. So let us consider the life of Abimelech and the things that he has done and make sure that we're not falling into the same traps or guilty of the same things that Abimelech was. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you tonight and we thank you for these words. And I pray that you would help us to, uh, to take them to heart, dear Lord. I pray that you would help us to maybe not be like Gail and think a little too much of ourselves and rush into situations only to find ourselves in trouble. God, I pray that we, we would not be like Abimelech, that we wouldn't just uh, live our life in, in evil and doing these things we shouldn't do uh, and worry about at the end what people are going to think about us. But God, let us just live a life that's pleasing to you and do our best to, to, to leave a legacy uh, from, from being in service to you and from loving you and from loving other people, dear Lord. 
So let us learn from the sins of Abimelech and from the sins of the people of Shechem, dear Lord. Uh, let us not be so quick to turn from you as they were, but let us trust you in everything. Let us not seek human rulers uh, and men and women to rule over us, but dear Lord, I pray that we would seek you to rule over us in all that we do and let you be our guide and let Jesus Christ be our leader, dear Lord. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.